you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami has made it back into the house. Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, as crude touches its highest level since the financial crisis, the traders are sounding the alarm on the ripple effects. Plus, we are tracking the after-hours action and shares a gap in Broadcom. Both stocks are rallying right now, and earnings will bring the very latest from the quarters. And later, Rivian's reversal, the EV maker making a huge U-turn on pre-orders and pricing. Is that why investors were slamming the brakes on this one today? We start off with Apple, the stock holding strong despite all the market volatility. Apple is up 2% in just the last week, while the Nasdaq 100 is flat. But taking a look under the hood, is there something going on with Apple's valuation? Apple's forward P.E., about 27 compared to 19 for the S&P 500. Apple's revenue growth for the year is 8% versus 7.2% for this S&P. So tonight we ask, why does Apple continue to trade at a premium? Does it deserve it? Is it a flight to safety? Is there a comeuppance coming for Apple? Dan, what do you say? I would say it does not deserve it in this market, trading 27 times, having the same expected EPS growth rate of the S&P 500, which, like you said, trading about 19 times, is really in line with the average over the last five years or so. Now, a lot of Fast Money viewers may say that I always have something negative to say about Apple. And, um, you know, I just think there's kind of something funky going on here, because why is it that Apple is levitating here? Now, Guy will tell you it traded down to where it needed to do last week to its 200-day moving average. Now, they're at 152, but down 6% on the year, given everything we know about inflation, about supply chains, about international demand, a surging dollar, okay? Why is the stock trading like that? I actually think somebody mysteriously is buying it, Guy. Maybe it's your plunge protection team or so. I just, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. I think maybe the Fed's like, you know what? We can't buy bonds right now because they are tapering. Maybe they're buying the biggest equity in the world. Yeah, I do. You know why? Because Guy will tell you that, and I just going to kick it over to you. If the S&P is not falling apart and every other risk asset is really mm-hmm. sloppy right now, then maybe that's the thing that consumer needs to see right now. Maybe it's because it's a flight to safety. Maybe it's because it's got a lot of cash. Maybe it's because it, it pays a dividend. Maybe, maybe because it's got pricing power. All these things. Pick pick one or, or all of the above, Guy. Well, let me first say, holy beep! It's great to be back here at the NASDAQ in New York City Times where I beat myself out. Because you know what I wanted to say. Great to see you in person. I'm with Dan on this one. Something funky is going on. But in the world of passive investing, where flows go in regardless, Apple finds itself at the top of the heap. And when they're in probably 350 or some odd ETFs, passive money flows in, finds its way into the stock. It was peculiar, which I can't spell that word either. I know there's an I in there somewhere, that it traded down to 152 on February 24th, the 200-day moving average being 151.60, and has proceeded to bounce some 12% in a few trading days. I find that a bit odd. But I'm with Dan on this one. In a world where valuation matters, Apple is not impervious, Melissa Lee. Is not impervious. Not. I enunciate. I know, Diction no, I is important. I, I understand that. Uh, Tim Seymour, what, what is your take? Because for a lot of people, they want to be in these, quote, unquote, high quality tech names, the ones that will have growth no matter what the economic backdrop. 
Well, this is the highest quality, and, and Apple does have financial levers in addition to uh, a diversified business model, a higher margin services business. And the question is, what's the multiple you put on that? If you think about what they can do in terms of buybacks and dividends and you know, probably $50 billion of free cash flow they generate every quarter, this is a company that has ways to be very defensive here. I think it, it gets back to what's the multiple we're paying for Apple historically. And I don't even mean five years ago. I, I mean a couple years ago. This was a 16 to 18 multiple where they started to show the services revenue. You were giving that in mid-20s and your hardware was kind of low teens. Uh, now there's, there's no way to, to not say Apple's trading. First of all, if, you, if you're at seven bucks a share, which I think is somewhere around street consensus for 23, uh, a 20 multiple, easy math. 140, a 25 multiple, 175. You know, you, you get to a place at a 30 multiple, it's a $210 stock. Should anything be trading at 30 times uh, relative to the S&P in this environment? And I think that's the debate. If you think about uh, where Apple is an anchor for the S&P and for the triple Qs, it's obvious, right? It's 7% of the S&P. It's 12% of the NASDAQ 100 and, and therefore supporting it and, and, and flows into it. Defensive flows uh, may be part of the place. People have to allocate capital somewhere. Uh, I think they are putting it into Apple. Should Apple trade at, at the multiple today that it did a year ago? No, because the market doesn't. And the market multiple is compressing and will continue to compress. I mean, if you are a money manager and you have an allocation to technology and you don't want to be in higher growth valuation names like software names or, I don't know, you pick your poison in terms of the innovation names that have been taking a beating BK, you might flock to a name like an Apple or Microsoft for that matter. I mean, sometimes the simplest explanation is the actual explanation. So, uh, listen, BK loves a good conspiracy as much as anybody else. I just don't think it's happening here. I think it's everything that you talked about and Tim talked about. We, they're putting a premium on steady earnings. You've got a lot of cash there. But who's going to get rid of their iPhone? Nobody's going to get rid of their iPhone. It's going to be the last thing. So it's almost kind of like a utility. So in an environment where everything is uncertain, we don't know what, what earnings are going to be next year. Apple's earnings are probably the most predictable that we can have out there. So I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. Uh, now, listen, I don't know if they have, to use your term, a comeuppance or not, but it certainly looks like it stopped right on the trend line. So I'd wait a little before I bought it. I only use the word comeuppance because in our previous conversation with Dan, we have a 1230 call every day. Yes, we, we want to know how the sausage is actually made sure and how fast money. Um, and what's horrible? Just the call? Back and forth. It's just anyway, um, and, and you made it really sound like you thought that Apple did not deserve it at all and that ultimately the markets would fall because of it, because it is such a big part of the market. I, I think it's a really dangerous setup, and I'm not trying to like cause everyone to run for the hills here, but if you think about what's gone on under the hood in technology stocks in general, and it's been going on for six to nine months. I mean, you know, half the NASDAQ has been cut in half here. And so we're seeing, to Guy's point, maybe it is just a flight to safety. We saw it in the dollar this week. We saw it in treasuries. Okay, so maybe that's happening. But that doesn't mean that it's a great setup right here, because if the market is going to take time to find a bottom here, and we're looking at so many names. Look at Facebook's been cut in half. Netflix has been cut in half. Tesla is down 40% from its highs. Those are all, NVIDIA, down 40%. These are all big NASDAQ components. The only things that have not broken yet are Apple, uh, Google, and Microsoft. Not in a meaningful way, and I think that happens. That has to happen before this market bottoms, in my opinion. You notice I didn't use a razor today. 
Oddly enough, I'm thinking, what is that, Occam's razor or something? Isn't that what BK was yeah. just speaking of? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the simplest right. explanation is usually the correct one. BK knows he'll write the next book about it. That will be the BK book. I'll say this, and Tim brought this up, as did Dan. It's odd in this environment that when Apple was a growth stock five, six, seven years ago, it was trading at a value stock multiple 13 times. Now that it is a value stock, it's trading at 27 times. It's insanity. It should trade Maybe not a market multiple, but a 20 multiple on the $7 that Tim says, that's about right in my opinion. Now, is it going to 140 tomorrow? Probably not. But that, to me, is the right price for Apple Computer. So here's a question, Tim, for you. And I know that you're in both names, but if you had to put a $1 Love to work, the, the proverbial dollar to work, fresh dollar, fresh money to work today, would that Ooh. be an Apple? Or would it be in a name that, that got cut in half, like a face meta, excuse me, or Netflix? Well, I, I tell you what, I, I think what worries me about Apple is, is we've just spent a lot of time talking about, and I certainly uh, talked about the defensiveness of the stock. Uh, I think it was one of the great beneficiaries of COVID. I, I, I think we haven't heard Apple talk about gross margin pressure. We haven't seen a contraction in iPhone se- uh, segments. And I, and I think we really don't know what the Fed does to Apple. And, and that's something that concerns me. But if, if I had to allocate a dollar towards, call it a, uh, do, we, do we say Meta is a second tier uh, mega cap? tech stock? Maybe. Um, they certainly have been. Uh, I put a, a dollar in, in Apple over Meta uh, all day long because I think Meta's got major problems and they start with the word TikTok. Um, I, if you ask me about Netflix, um, look, uh, Netflix, and remember, I, I typically like Disney over Netflix. I liked Netflix here. I, I think uh, their, their growth was never supposed to be linear and it's been lumpy. And I do think they still have a dominant streaming business and, and they are a stock that trades awfully. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, stock traded down to kind of 380-ish uh, after those terrible numbers actually bounced a bit and is now down and tested through those numbers. But I think you're asking me, and it's a would you rather rather, and I'm sorry I did that, but I'd rather Netflix over a meta for my dollar of Apple. He's not. First of all, he's not sorry he did it. He loves doing it. I happen yeah, to love doing it as well. I know. None of us play by the rules. And I'm, what are we, seven minutes into the show and you're saying yeah. to yourself, oh my God, I wish he would just go home already. I mean, that's just the way it is. I will say this, you know, Apple, both Apple and Nike made decisions based on what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Truth, right? I mean, that's just factual. God forbid something were to happen between China and Taiwan. Apple would be forced effectively to make a similar type of decision. And that could be really catastrophic. And yes, a word I'm choosing to use, catastrophic for the stock. But that's probably for another show, Melms. You're saying that there today exists a risk because of China? Absolutely. A hundred percent. No, there's no question about it. That there is absolutely a risk. China, Taiwan tensions, they sort of rear their ugly head. And then Apple, Nike and other companies would be forced to make a decision, not unlike they just made between with Russia and Ukraine. It's out there. You got to talk about it. It's that what's how many pounds is that gorilla? Yeah, seven, eight hundred pounds. Well, that's the one. That's the gorilla in the room. It's giant. Let's take a deeper look at valuations in the tech space. Fast Money friend Gene Munster of Loop Ventures joins us to help make sense of this. Um, Gene, how many pounds is a gorilla? No, just kidding. Just kidding. Is Apple expensive? Is Apple expensive in this market environment? In the near term, potentially. I think in the long term, it is uh, to be determined. Or in the long term, I do not think it is overpriced. In the near term piece is ultimately it's about what's going to happen in the geopolitical environment. I think Guy's point is essentially spot on, that effectively if uh, there's more tension in Taiwan and Asia, this is going to have a negative impact on Apple. 
But I think that that is near-term related, and I think investors need to just do a weighting here. When you think about is it under or overvalued, you have to weight probabilities. Uh, there's an 80% chance that Apple continues to be a consumer staples company, a company that we cannot live without, that has what I think is exponential upside relating to what they could do potentially in automotive and intentionally the metaverse. And we forget about those uh, key growth opportunities for them in, in weeks like this. That's the 80% positive. That's the piece where I anchor in, and that's the side that this is undervalued. But there is a 20% uh, piece that the geopolitical environment's going to get uh, worse. And there probably is a 5% chance uh, that Guy's scenario could happen, is that if uh, something did happen in Taiwan and China, Apple's going to be probably one of the first companies people are going to sell. I think when you put it all together, Melissa, my money is still on Apple. Gene, it's Tim. I, I'm not thinking about the geopolitics. It's right to think about it. I'm thinking more about inflation. I'm thinking about pulled forward. I'm thinking about gross margins. And I'm thinking about what Apple is going to do in an environment where the Fed is raising rates. How are you handicapping this in, in your valuation? Because uh, there's no question to me, uh, you have gross margin pressure and you have a company that really coming out of the last two quarters has an incredibly high bar. It's got a high bar. It's got also a high backlog. There's still, at this point, uh, their new products are still 10 days on backlog. Typically, at this time of year, there is no backlog. It's rare to find a company with, uh, I think, that have had the results that they've had with the continued backlog. And so as far as the, the bar and, and the impact of, of rates, when rates go up, uh, typically stocks go down. We have not, we're, uh, it's obvious, Apple has not had that same pullback in anticipation of higher interest rates. And I think part of the reason why is that they probably are more defensible in terms of managing through that. The best way to manage through higher interest rates is to increase your earnings. You can benefit, they can benefit with price increases. We'll see what they do on March 8th at their, sneak, uh, at their peak performance event. I suspect the pricing on their products is going to be inching higher, that have uh, a form of offsetting that. And the second piece related to interest rates going up and the impact on valuation is they can manufacture higher earnings through uh, buybacks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that is a, a powerful piece. And so uh, I think when you put that together, my concern is, is far less about what interest rates are going to do or the commodity environment. My, my uh, concern is that 20% pocket about all these unknowns on the geopolitical side. You don't fight the Fed and you don't fight the buyback. Um, you mentioned the, uh, the event next week, Gene. It's peak P-E-E-K, not P-E-A-K performance. And so what do you think that, right. that refers to? Well, I, I, I'm not sure what the, the reference is. I can tell you what I think that the products are going to be. Uh, it's a new iPhone SE. That, of course, is their low price. That's their $400 uh, phone. Their product ranges from $400 for iPhone up to $1,100 for the high-end one. Uh, also a new iPad Air and uh, probably a couple new Macs. Uh, when I say new, that's probably not the right language. I should probably just say some updates uh, to those. And let me uh, kind of fast forward to, uh, I think, what the takeaways are going to be next week with the peak performance event. I think it's going to be less about uh, people guessing about how their market share could evolve around the low end and what that could do. I think it's going to be more just about, I think, an understanding from investors, just stepping back. Is this, uh, they've done four events uh, every year since uh, 2018 and uh, including the last two years. It's been tough to pull those off. They continue to release products in the face of some headwinds. We don't need to itemize those. But I think if you look at other companies and their ability to kind of power through these headwinds, I think Apple has stood alone. And that's probably part of the reason why the stock is today. 
But I think that's just going to give some comfort to investors. This is the 80% piece that I continue to be confident about this. I think that will continue to give investors comfort. Uh, don't overthink this. Next week is about a company that continues to operate at uh, the highest level and set the gold standard in terms of product releases with a lot of headwinds. Gene, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Gene Munster. So, BK, what's the verdict after hearing Gene? Do you pay up for Apple because it's a quote-unquote safe haven in the storm? Or are we, you know, in a situation where the valuations are just too high for what the company actually is? And I feel like we, we saw this sort of during the pandemic when people were, were paying up for consumer staples names, driving them up to historic high multiples like a Clorox and a Procter & Gamble for various reasons. And, and the valuations have come, come down since. Yeah, I mean, listen, I go back to the fact that Apple is that kind of like a utility consumer staple. You think about all the things that they have. You know, we talked a little bit about interest rates there. They've got a huge stockpile of cash. Even if they just invest that in Treasury bills, they're going to make more money next year. So, you know, I, I see why there is a premium on the valuation in this environment. It doesn't really excite me. I think there's a lot better investments than Apple out there. Uh, but, you know, at this point, it doesn't surprise me that Apple is trading at a premium. Yeah, I just say this, that, you know, Gene just mentioned their ability to buy back stock. Tim talked about the free cash flow generation that they have. They bought $20 billion of stock last year. That's equal to a little less than the net income or last quarter, excuse me, last quarter. OK, so they are managing their earnings. And then you got to take a step back here. and You say if their earnings and sales for the next few years are only supposed to grow mid single digits, why would you pay 27 times for that for a company that has 43 okay. percent gross margins that are going flat? And if their highest growth or their highest growth part is the services. If you looked at all of the names outside of Apple, those valuations are being contracted, okay, in the markets right now, if you're trading above 10 times sales. So to me, I think you could see a re-rating of that piece that everyone was so excited about over the last few years, which was their services business. Here's a question for you, yeah. and this is just a really quick one. Mm. If you had a dollar to put to work today, fresh money, so to speak, would it be in, in Apple or would it be in, say, the ARK Innovation ETF? No, I'd buy Ethereum. That's what I would do. because that's where it, <laughs> no, But to me, because board. that's where innovation is being built on. On top of that sort of platform, there's nothing innovative in the ARK ETF anymore. You'd rather buy the NASDAQ because the NASDAQ is the ARK, but with the good stuff, which is the MAGA stuff. All right. Uh, coming up. Most important chart in the market. One of our traders is breaking down a big move in the energy space. The details ahead. But first, we're all over some after hours action. Broadcom and Gap, both stocks higher after reporting. We're digging into the names next. Much more fast money. Don't go anywhere. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Gap. Shares getting a big boost after hours. The conference call is underway. Let's get to Courtney Reagan, who's been following the action. Court. Hi, Melissa. Yes, shares higher by 8% here. And interestingly, it was really a largely downbeat quarter for Gap Inc. The global apparel retailer reporting a smaller than expected loss, but thanks largely due to lower operating expenses. Gap Inc. really fell short on comparable sales and well short on margins. For the full year, earnings and sales forecast ranges, though, are above consensus. Expectations were pretty low for this retailer going into results. After last quarter, the company got hit very hard by supply chain snarls and inventory dislocation, which did continue. Old Navy, the biggest brand, saw fourth quarter comparable sales coming in flat compared to fourth quarter of 2019, though up 12 percent for the full year compared to pre-pandemic levels. The namesake brand's comps grew 3 percent compared to the fourth quarter of 2019. Struggling Banana Republic, the comps still down 2 percent. And Lululemon competitor Athletic grew comps 42 percent in the fourth quarter compared to the same quarter in 2019. Gap Inc. actually says Athleta is on track to hit $2 billion in annual sales in the year fiscal 2023. The online sales for the total company grew 44 percent in the fourth quarter compared to the same quarter pre-pandemic, making up 43% of total sales. On the conference call that is still ongoing, CEO Sonia Single said that the company experienced delays of eight to 10 weeks in some categories due to this congestion of the West Coast ports in particular, which then led it to use more air freight at a higher expense and ultimately muted the sales that it saw. Gap is using U.S. ports in the South and on the East Coast now more, and Single says she does expect that the air freight costs will normalize by the end of the first half of the year. So they're not out of the woods with that yet. Melissa? Were they were they long on inventory court? It sounds like an eight to ten week delay would, would lead to things just piling up. Yeah, and so that well, yes and no. So what was part of the issue is that they said higher they had higher demand in some categories than they were able to meet. So the shoppers were looking for some items that were really delayed in some cases eight to ten weeks, and then other items that didn't sell as well. So again, it was sort of a dislocation of inventory as the quarter went on, and they tried to rectify it by air freighting in, spending more money on that more in demand holiday based merchandise. But in mm-hmm. some cases, it just didn't work out. Yep. Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan, uh, I feel like this is a Tim Seymour name. What you, would you make of this pop? Well, I, look, I, I, I don't wear Gap. This is not a Gap shirt, is, you know, but, but look, I think Gap is a company that was uh, seen to be broken coming out of COVID. They had some restructuring dynamics. It actually worked for them in terms of their leases, the renegotiations. Uh, Courtney stressing the issues on their online sales. So digital 43% is the big number. And, and the two-year stack at 44% over 2019 is nice. Uh, look, the guide on Old Navy for the first half of the year doesn't sound great. I, I just think this is a company that's had so much tailwind from COVID, uh, has had a lot of benefit from restructuring, has pulled forward sales, and is going to see massive, massive headwinds on margins, both from labor costs and some of these pricing input costs. I, I think look, it was down 45% into this print. That's why you're getting a relief rally. I, I'm mm-hmm. not chasing this one. I don't think anyone should. All right, let's get to Broadcom now. Check out the shares. They're moving higher after hours. The earnings call is underway right now. Let's bring in Kate Rogers, who's been on the call. Kate. 
Hey, Melissa, that's right. The stock moving higher by about 4% in after-hours trade after beating on both the top and bottom lines. Revenue came in at $7.7 billion. That's higher than the $7.6 billion that analysts had forecasted. Earnings with a big beat. The company reporting EPS of $8.39 per share. That beat estimates by $0.21. Cents. More good news here for the chipmaker. Q2 revenue guidance coming in strong. $7.9 billion versus $7.4 billion expected. That would be a 20% increase from from the year ago period. Broadcom CEO Hawk Tan saying in the press release, quote, Broadcom's record first quarter results were driven by strong enterprise demand and continued investments in next generation technology by hyperscale and service providers. Our second quarter outlook projects year over year growth to accelerate. Now, the call, as you mentioned, underway, the CEO saying that essentially here its lead times remain extended and unchanged. So obviously still undergoing some challenges there, but overall a sunny outlook looking ahead, Melissa. Back over to you. Thanks, Kate. BK, what's your take on uh, AVGO? Yeah, I mean, listen, all of the chip sector, I think, looks great. If you want to buy the picks and shovels of the modern economy, it's semiconductors. No matter what you do in this world, you need to have a chip. So if you look at, you know, Broadcom or whether it's NVIDIA, which is probably my favorite name in the space, I think over time, especially when they're falling like this, uh, they're great buys. And look at the chart of NVIDIA. I mean, that thing is handsome bottoming right at 200, bounced off that. Now all we need is a little bit of a breakout, and it's off to the races again. Handsome is an interesting terminology. I'll go to operating margins, say 60% for the first time in a long time. If not ever, number one, that's great. And valuation, you can wrap your head around this. We, we cast aspersions, again, a word I can't spell, but I'll use, with Apple. Well, you can't say that about Broadcom because it, 17 times it's trading less than a market multiple with maybe 10 11% EPS growth. So I like it here, especially since it sold off from about 670 I think at the end of last year, that would be December 30th, Melissa Lee. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The most important chart in the market, commodities cruising higher. And one of our traders is breaking down what's in store. That high energy trade next. Plus, Rivian in reverse. Plans for price increases hitting a red light. So is the EV maker still an electric trade? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Commodities soaring since Russia's invasion of Ukraine with prices on pace for their biggest weekly gains since the 1960s. And check out this chart. It shows WTI crude oil prices versus two-year break-even inflation rates. BK calls it the most important chart in the market right now. Why is that, Beeks? Yes. Well, so listen, the two macro drivers out there, they're pretty obvious, right? What is the Fed going to do and what is happening in Ukraine? So the epicenter, the market for what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, is the oil market. We know a lot of those Russian barrels are off the market, so oil prices are spiking. But look at it. And then on the Fed side, Chair Powell said today in his testimony, he does not want inflation expectations to get embedded in the U.S. economy. That's what these two-year break-even show. They show what are inflation expectations. People are expecting, or at least the market is expecting, inflation over the next couple of years, two years, is going to run at 4%. And lo and behold, a lot of that inflation expectation is driven by oil prices. So this encapsulates everything that's going on in the market right now. So for the bulls, what you want to see is oil moderating, inflation expectations moderating, and the Fed maybe taking their foot off the, the brake a little bit. That's why I think this is the most important chart. If you see oil spike and inflation expectations spike, I bet you the, the Fed's going to come in and they're going to raise 50 basis points, maybe not in March, but the next meeting, if you get these two things continuing to move higher. What do you think of the chart, Tim? I like it. Uh, I, I think we've also truncated or, or, or condensed and made a higher octane velocity commodity cycle here. This look, Take out your 2004 through 2007 playbook. It's game on. Um, steel prices are going a lot higher. If you look at U.S. Steel uh, as a company, also they've been buying back a lot of stock. The free cash flow generation for a company that had a, a bad balance sheet, pardon the, uh, the simplified term, that, that's really what was going on. And they're locking in it cold rolled steel price contracts year over year uh, up 10, 15, 20 percent. There's nothing anybody can do uh, on the customer side. We're seeing this across iron ore. We're seeing this across uh, the ag space and, and fertilizers. Look at mosaic. Look at look at potash. So um, I think this is a story where this is part of that inflation dynamic. And, and even in the short term where I think the dollar continues to trade higher. Um, again, the, part of the key here is that a lot of these companies, not the commodities, are better run than they were uh, in the early 2010 through 15 area where there was growth at all costs. And frankly, there wasn't the demand side and the supply side support. Alcoa was your final trade yesterday. But it goes, mm. I mean, as Tim mentioned, it's way beyond. It's the whole entire commodity complex, including the related equities, like the fertilizers, the FERTs. The FERTs. That's um, like fast money. Equipment. Two, 2010 is. I know. I mean, it's that's classic. early it's Melissa classic Lee classic. fast money. Very. And, no, and you're spot on to bring it up. I mean, every Jeff Curry, not me, he runs commodities at Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. So this is somebody that knows what he is talking about. He said a couple <laughs> weeks ago, if not a month ago, I've never seen anything like it in my 30 years in the business. We're running out of everything. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, not that much. And all these names works quickly. Cliffs has been a name we've talked about, CLF. I just bring it up because... We are right at levels we topped out at in August of last year, critical levels. I happen to think they're all blowing through the upside. I can understand if you'd want to take profits here. So, BK, how do you trade your most important chart in the market? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you can trade, first of all, just be long oil, number one. I think that's the easiest way to do it. You can be long oil services. OIH is another way that I'm uh, playing it. But we're talking about commodities more broadly. Freeport, Freeport Mac looks fantastic to me. 
Copper just started to break out right now. Gold looks like it's going higher. If inflation is going to be higher than bond yields, then you have negative real rates, very positive for metals. So I think Freeport Mac probably captures all of it. So, I mean, we're bullish on this whole complex, BK, but I mean, the long game would be that you're, you're negative on the U.S. economy. You're potentially negative on the consumer, too. If, you are bet, if you're making this bet, do you have to believe that inflation does get out of hand? I don't think you have to make you don't you don't have to believe it gets out of hand. I happen to think it is going to, but you mm. can still make this bet without thinking it's getting out of hand. Uh, but ultimately, right, if inflation gets too hot, you're paying seven dollars for a gallon of gasoline this summer. That is going to be a drag on the economy and the consumer. All right, coming up, crypto getting crushed. Our own Bitcoin baller Brian Kelly says it is being used all wrong. The inflation play you did know you needed. More on that ahead. But first. Rivian in reverse, the EV maker backtracking, and that's got investors doing the same. We got the details next. Much more Fast Money right after this. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Rivian in reverse today. The EV maker rolling back some planned price increases. Phil Lebeau joins us on the Fast Line with more. What a fiasco, Phil. Oh, terrible, Melissa. And this is an about-face for all about-faces. What happened, it started on Tuesday when Rivian said because of the higher cost for raw commodities, chips, the uh, inflation that is basically through the entire production system, they were going to be raising their prices anywhere from a minimum of 12500 up to perhaps 20000 depending on how you had your uh, particular Rivian uh, outfitted for the one day when they ultimately delivered to you. Well, the backlash was strong with Rivian customers saying, hey, look, we may cancel our orders. This is ridiculous. So now they are rolling back the 20% price increase for existing pre-orders. So if you were somebody who ordered a Rivian before, you will not pay the higher prices. This impacts approximately 71,000 orders. That's the order bank at the end of Q3. We'll get a more accurate number uh, later next week. The updated pricing, which is up 17 to 20% for the R1T and the R1S compared to where it was initially, that will be in place for future orders. CEO RJ Scringe sending a lengthy apology to all of the customers saying, I have made a lot of mistakes since starting Rivian more than 12 years ago, but this one has been the most painful. I am truly sorry and committed to rebuilding your trust. As you take a look at shares of Rivian this week, keep in mind, it is under pressure again. And this stock has been cut in half since the beginning of this year. We get the Q4 results after the bell next Thursday, and that's also when they will give us an updated reservation number. Again, it was at 71000 at the end of Q3. Let's see where it is. And let's see how many people actually canceled their orders, Melissa. There was plenty of talk on social media with people who are saying, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to pay another twelve, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. I committed to buying an R1T at a particular price. That's the price I'm paying. And that's why Rivian has rolled back the price increases. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau with the uh, Rivian turmoil, if we can call it that. Um, it, it's interesting. It was 71,000 uh, orders that were placed, and the price increases between 17 and 20 percent. So how much would they have gained by grandfathering in that price increase versus how much they've lost in, in market capitalization 
and goodwill for that matter, Dan. Yeah, I mean, listen, we've seen companies do this time and time again. I, people forget that Apple actually lowered the original price of their iPhone. It was too high for, out of the gate. I mean, these sorts of things, it's a little bit of a throw something up against the wall and see what sticks. I think the difference is that they've only delivered a few hundred cars here, and they've created a lot of hype. The IPO, which at one time was, you know, the best kind of branding they could have, this kind of reverses it. And the other thing is, is that you had to actually have a pre-order in to get an order in if you're a retail investor. Now you're down in the thing, you're, you're, you're down in the stock, and then this, the car you were going to buy is more expensive. You only have $1,000 on the line for that thing. You probably drop out of line, and there's a lot of other competition. There's a lot of other cool EVs coming out. The next Rivian year. was, uh, what, a $130 billion company around Thanksgiving of last year? Think about that. Now, it's not only been cut, it's more than cut in half since that top, and you have to ask yourself, at a certain point, it makes sense, but you made a great point. They should hire you. What do they call that? Like, you bring people in, and you have, like, powwows, and you think about these things, because clearly they didn't think about it. Melms, if this fast money thing doesn't work out, you should go to Rivian. With that said, you would have thought, at least I would have, that Tesla, given this news, I'm trying to draw some parallels, should have traded better. It didn't. And that 900 level, which was an all-time high back in February a couple years ago, that we traded through, subsequently bounced from, that is now a level of resistance. It's interesting that we stalled there this week. As I understand it from our new executive producer who's coming in, it is called Crisis... Management, crisis management. Crisis communication, which I do every night on this show right here. Horse hockey. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Kelly, um, does this prove that Tesla is, is number one, that it's got the lock? No, it just proves that Rivian's terrible at both <laughs> PR and managing their company. I mean, this is, this is awful. I mean, you're, you're in an environment where costs are going through the roof and you have no pricing power and you don't even have a product out there yet. Uh, it's, it's horrible for, for Rivian. All right. Coming up, the real way to use crypto. Our Bitcoin baller Brian Kelly is laying out how you should be thinking of the crypto space. The details next, plus Best Buy bump. Shares jumping after earnings, and that had options traders piling in. We'll tell you how they're playing this one when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CFO of Block. Catch the full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox at the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now at cnbc.com slash join the club or by using the QR code on your screen. All right. Is Bitcoin a safe place to park your cash as the Russia-Ukraine crisis rolls on? The cryptocurrency is up. 13% since the invasion began, though losing some steam today. A resident Bitcoin baller, BK, says it may work better as an inflation hedge than a safety play. BK, you brought the charts again. Yeah, I did bring the charts. Yeah, so listen, Bitcoin as a safe haven, you know, I think has been debunked, number one, by the volatility, and two, by the fact that it has been highly correlated with the stock market. But something has changed here. So Bitcoin has been a very good inflation hedge when you're expecting inflation. Fed comes out in November, said, hey, we're going to crush inflation. I don't need my inflation uh, hedge anymore. Therefore, Bitcoin falls. But because we've had this inflation shock from the Russia-Ukraine conflict, you now have negative real rates. And again, negative real rates are just a Wall Street way to say inflation's going to run hot. Bond yields are going to be lower than inflation. In that environment, you need to look for something other than bonds. And you want to get the fastest horse in the race. And Bitcoin is it. Now, if we look back and say, have we seen this before? Is there precedent for this? Sure. Look at the negative real rates in January 2019, 
just before Bitcoin took off on a run. Ne real rates went from positive to negative. In March of 2020, we had real rates starting to go much more positive, and then all of a sudden we had the COVID shock, and they started to get more negative. Bitcoin took off. And then just over the last week again, we have a very similar macro setup. So for me, if you're looking for an inflation hedge and you think things are going to accelerate and you're watching wheat and corn and oil and copper and everything else go through the roof, hedge your portfolio with Bitcoin. See, so yeah, it's interesting because interesting I saw the 13% increase as maybe some people also interpreting Bitcoin as, as, you know, this is the use case for Bitcoin in this conflict, that we've got donations flowing into Ukraine via cryptocurrency and, and you know, maybe Russian money coming out of Russia via cryptocurrency. I mean, Tim, what's your take on, on the rise? Well, I, I think it's also, to me, the, the great existential question around fiat currencies and great, you know, ultimately a big question around the dollar. Look, I, you know, as much as there's a, a rally and a safe haven around the dollar during times like this, when, when the U.S. government and other governments can suddenly freeze $300 billion of assets, suddenly makes other countries around the world say, hey, you know what, um, I realize we're not Russia, but I'm not sure I want to be in this position and I want to be diversifying away from the dollar. This is ultimately Bitcoin positive dollar negative and gold positive and, and PGMs positive. I mean, look, um, Russia deserves what they're getting here. The point, though, is that central banks um, suddenly can play judge and jury uh, and governments can play judge and jury, uh, especially when they're the reserve currency master. And that's really ultimately where we are with the dollar. Our dollar, your problem. And I think it's an issue. Yeah, I would just add, you know, BK said it's been debunked as that kind of store of value, that digital sort of gold. And I know he doesn't mean that 100 percent. But at the end of the day, it's less than a trillion dollar market cap. That's Bitcoin right here. And I think the bigger point, I think Tim was just saying this is like, really, it has proven the case to be for censorship resistance. And I know that was one of the yeah. main pillars of the bull case for a long time. But still at under a trillion dollars, still down, I don't know, twenty five thousand dollars from its all time high made, you know, just a few months ago or in the fall. It just doesn't seem even that compelling. It's banging around. It acts like a Nasdaq stock, you know, and um, I don't know. I mean, may maybe we'll see if this if the whole situation continues to go on and then it moves to China and we'll see if there's a ge geopolitical dust up there if capital flight really is the best use case. Well, I mean, if China is taking a look at what's going on with Russia in terms of the impact of sanctions because of how tied up the you know Russian yeah. assets are in the U.S. dollar, et cetera, they might be looking at other ways, right, to have reserve currencies. Brian Kelly, I know you're raising your hand, so I'll, I'll go to you. You're polite and follow the rules. Yeah, because I wanted yeah. to add one more thing to Dan's point is that, you know, there, there's another catalyst out there beyond that, and it's something what Tim talked about, too. El Salvador, and I know it's a small country, but they're doing a Bitcoin bond in the middle of this month. They want to raise a uh, billion dollars. They have uh, commitments for between three and five hundred million. They're going to take that money and build out their mining, but also buy Bitcoin for their treasury. So they're going to do exactly what Tim's talking about and try to diversify away from the dollar. Now, the last time we had a billion dollar buyer in the market and real yields going more negative is when Tesla bought Bitcoin and Bitcoin ripped from 35,000 up to 65,000. So, again, there is another catalyst out there for it. You know, Tim mentioned uh, existential risk. A lot of people don't know that Soren Kierkegaard was a great uh, crypto person back in the day. Little known fact. That's why you watch Fast Money, by the way. I'll say this, BK. If this Federal Reserve were to blink, and that could happen because they've been spooked by the market before, that's your bull case for Bitcoin, in my opinion. All right. Coming up. Best Buy flying higher today. The retailer surging after announcing some dividend news, and that has some options traders diving in. We got the details next when Fast Money returns.
in this unique consumer electronics space where so much of our lives have changed and we're using the tech more. We continue to, to see not just consumer electronics as a nice to have. Consumer electronics is a need. It is a necessity. It needs to work. We need it. We need it to work. Um, and mostly right now we need it to live our lives. That was Best Buy CEO Corey Barry speaking earlier today on consumer spending. The retailer surging more than 9% despite reporting some underwhelming fourth quarter numbers. Best Buy also announcing it is raising its dividend by 26%. And that had options traders diving into this one. Let's bring in Mike Coe. Mike, what'd you see? Yeah, so we often see well above average options activity before a company announces earnings. That was definitely true for Best Buy. But today it traded even more volume following those results. And the bump that we saw in the stock price, it traded over six times its average daily options volume, very close to seven. In fact, one of the trades that stuck out to me, a buy of 850 of the April 112, 125 call spreads. Buyer paid about $4 for those. That's the at-the-money call that they were buying. They're betting on a move of between 4 and 10% over the course of the next few weeks. We often like to play this game where mm. we say, if you had known certain events were going to transpire in a certain way, how would you guess, would, you know, what would the outcome up be for the wow. day, for the market, for the stock, whatever? So for Best Buy, given the numbers and what they reported, Guy, would you have thought the stock would have been up 9%? Mel, what show is on Fridays at uh, 5.30 p.m.? It'll be options the action, I'll answer for you. And I only know that because at 5 o'clock last Friday, I was on... Fast money. Please mm-hmm. don't roll your eyes at me. Please. It makes me upset. And you asked, we played a game. What are you watching next week, guy? Best Buy. And I said, Best Buy. You know why? Because the setup was very good in their earnings. All they need to do is sort of come in in line. You'll see a relief rally. What happened today? It kind of came in line. Short guidance was underwhelming. It was underwhelming. The range Actually, was below the expectations. Operating margin is not good at all. What does that yeah. mean? I think so, this rally will be short lived, Mel. Yeah. All right. Um, Mike, thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow, of course, being the aforementioned options action. That is a full show. 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trade. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. 2005 playbook, Mel. Again, back to gold. I think gold's going higher. GDX has underperformed this move in gold, and I think the miners are a great place to be. Higher beta. BK, Brian Kelly. Yeah, I like shiny rocks, too, just like Tim. Freeport, (laughs) Mac, copper, and gold. FCX. Wow. Dan Nathan. Yeah, that was a fun conversation we had about Apple earlier. I would Mm. just say this, and I know a lot of people say don't trade it, just own it, and that's been the right thing to do here. But if you think that stock's going to go retest that 152 level, then it's probably going back to that 140 level that you said. So maybe take a profit or look into finding risk and play for that. Guy. When we started the show, like 30 people from the NASDAQ here. Within like five minutes, we started it just... the show today or like. No, today. Today. An oh, hour today. ago. Okay. And they all just cleared yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, the energy in the room. Come on, people, let's go. Why do I mention that? Because the NASDAQ is too cheap here. NDAQ. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. In the meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday 
and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.